This is your cast, hosted by the York Politics Society. Hi everyone, uh, this is your cast. Um, this will be the last episode that I'm doing before we're AGM, where hopefully we'll have another person on with me. Um, and today I wanted to talk about uh, the issue of polarisation in politics and uh, sort of populism as well, and what to make of it, uh, and how uh, parties uh, should approach it. So there's kind of a feeling that I've picked up on that's uh, perpetuated by pundits quite a lot, uh, and it's the idea that undecided or swing voters are uh, ideologically moderate or even centrist. Um, I I don't think this uh, reflects reality, uh, and it infers that uh, the kind of approach to capturing undecided voters is to just field a moderate candidate with moderate policies um and i don't think this is is true the real kind of nature of uh undecided voters swing voters um if we're talking about sort of notable groups from elections that we'll be familiar with uh the people who voted for obama in 2012 but then trump in 2016 and in the UK, uh, voters who traditionally voted Labour, but in the most recent election, voted Conservative. Um, now, in both of those cases, these these were like the king, the key uh, demographic um, that kind of decided the election. Right, um, in both of those cases, they did not switch to. Uh, the opposing party because they had policies that were more kind of aligned with the people who they traditionally voted for, like people who voted for Trump didn't do that because the Republicans moved towards a Democratic platform. They did the complete opposite. And likewise, people who traditionally voted Labour, who then voted Conservative for Boris, didn't do so because uh, Boris was, uh, you know, having some massive like anti-austerity platform he he was uh calling for an end to austerity but i feel like that was a given anyway um th- the real reason was because of his comparatively radical position on brexit comparatively to uh well, to corbyn uh and also to his predecessor theresa may who who wasn't who was never a, a lever in the first place and uh did not have the same kind of absolutist rhetoric that Boris did. So, undecided voters, um, you cannot assume for them to be ideologically coherent. You can't assume any voter to be. And so to assume that because if they don't, if they're not necessarily aligned with the left or the right, that they must sit in the middle, um, is kind of false. Like, um, and I think the way that these sorts of groups have moved between parties in these in 2016 in America and 2019 in the UK kind of suggests that it's not because of uh, a moderate group appealing to them by that logic the Lib Dems would have wiped the floor last year Um, but it's because in a time of crisis and uh, you know seemingly chaos 
a, a kind of radical candidate can latch on to a general kind of feeling of anxiety um, that something is wrong and sort of drive it in a cohesive ideological direction. Um, and that's what Trump did in 2016. He took the general kind of feeling that uh, things had not improved since 2008 under Obama uh, and that, you know, no one was, no one cared about them. Them, I mean, um, the kind of uh, poster boy of, not poster boy, but the kind of, you know, well-talked about uh, group who swung towards Trump, which was the quote-unquote white working class. So Trump appealed to them by acknowledging that something was wrong uh, and, you know, channeled it in a specific, uh, clear direction, which was against immigration, against China, against NAFTA, that sort of stuff. Um, Whilst Clinton occupied a a middle ground and failed to win over any of these key undecided demographics, um, she managed to bolster her support in blue states like California and New York, and that's why she won the popular vote, but ultimately she wasn't able to convince anyone who was undecided. Because, well, first of all, because she wasn't a very appealing candidate anyway, but also because her platform in general did not really recognise that there was any serious problem with the American economy. My kind of overall opinion on uh, how we should approach polarisation is to embrace it and not fight it. Um, No politician can be the root cause of polarisation, right? Like, Trump is more of a reflection of the sentiment of anxiety and chaos than the root cause of it. Um, There's this kind of attitude that was probably more popular like a year ago, though less popular now, um, held amongst kind of liberals in in the UK and in America that if if we impeach Trump and we revoke Article 50, everything will go back to normal. Um, there was a real desire to return to the normalcy uh, of um, the Obama presidency. And uh, like I said, now this is not really as popular of an opinion because uh, Trump was acquitted by the Senate and Brexit. We have now truly gotten past the point of no return. There is no option to revoke Article 50 at this point. You know, uh, Big Ben did bong for Brexit. So looking ahead to... Um, America right now. Uh, The last episode I did was right before the primary started. Um, And since then, I'm now recording this uh, the day after the results in Nevada, where uh, Sanders came out with a very convincing victory. Um, I think, which is also an historic start to Democratic primaries. No, uh, I, I believe no Democratic candidate has won the popular vote in the first three states before. I feel like, I think, I saw somewhere that that's a record. So, in my opinion, this comes from uh, Sanders' ability to truly recognise and tap into the feelings of discontent, uh, rage, downtroddenness, that uh, all, pretty much none of the other candidates do. Uh, Biden, Bloomberg, Buttigieg, even Warren, these people, to some degree, uh, represent the status quo, whereas Bernie does not um, and in a time of you know crisis and believing that something is seriously wrong with the economy and needs to be changed uh, only someone like Sanders can really represent an alternative um, and so 
a middle ground candidate in times of crisis can only be seen as someone who can't do things as strongly and sincerely as those on their ideological flanks can. Uh, you know, if you take a moderate candidate, uh, someone who's on the left would see them or want them to be stronger on welfare or taxes or healthcare, uh, and conservatives would want them to, want to see them be stronger on immigration or protectionism. Um, and in times of crisis, you know, when things are going wrong and they need to be fixed, uh, this candidate. Uh, will seem inadequate to people on both sides of the political spectrum. And so America is in crisis, and the Democrat candidate should be one who embodies radical change and not the status quo. Now, I know uh, that some people might be thinking, uh, then why did Corbyn do so badly in the 2019 election? Surely uh, his failure uh, mandates a different approach in America to field a more moderate candidate. You know, we tried a radical person and it didn't work. Um, I kind of want to make the argument that it's not as clear-cut as that. Whilst ideologically extreme in some regards, uh, economically in particular, uh, Corbyn was ultimately seen as weak on Brexit. He took a kind of middle ground uh, as po- as much as possible. Um, he, he was very so-so about uh, remaining Um and his ultimate uh, manifesto in 2019 kind of pushed the idea of um, we'll come up with a new deal and then we'll put that to the people. So it was kind of trying to appeal to both sides. So going back to my earlier point about how you need to be convincing uh, that you're going to car- going to deliver on your promises to at least one side of the political spectrum, he didn't seem uh, convincing to either Remainers or Leavers. And so he kind of just fell down the wayside. Um, and Brexit was the dominant issue, uh, perhaps the single issue from the swing voters in that election. Um, and Boris represented a resolute direction and Corbyn uh, an iffy middle ground. Um, and similarly, the exact opposite was true in 2017. Uh, Brexit was not quite as influential issue in that election um, because at that point uh, both uh, the Conservatives and Labour were still kind of uh, de- giving the message that they were going to deliver on the people's promise and, and whatever to you know carry out Brexit. It was just how they were going to do it. Um, and Corbyn in that election represented the radical direction and May as the kind of ineffective moderate, which is why against all odds he did uh, well enough to uh, force a hung parliament. I say all odds, as in it was called by Theresa May because she led by what was it like twenty points uh, at the start of um, at the start of the campaign, um, uh, and at the fact the fact that then you know the majority of uh, the parliamentary Labour Party was hoping and expecting Corbyn to lose, um, so all things considered, it was um, yeah it was a much better uh, election result for Labour than expected, and. Uh, the only worst thing that could have happened for the Tories was uh, failing to get uh, even a slight majority with uh, their confidence and supply agreement with the DUP. That was the only way it could have been worse. It was it was a, you know not a good year. So attempts by American pundits to suggest uh, the implications Labour's failure in the UK in 2019 has for the 2020 American election, uh, or rather what they think should have, um, have been kind of predictably dismissed 
um, and carries little weight going into the primaries because American voters clearly understand that, you know, we kind of think, well, hang on, uh, none of what has happened in the UK uh, affects my material circumstances. I still need health care. My, my wages are still stagnant. Um, you know, f- things have, have you know, continued to be worse. Um, and I've, you know, my my uh, economic, my financial situation has not improved uh, drastically at all since 2008. Um, there is also a wider point here about uh, how the influence of pundits is, you know, generally overestimated um, by quite a bit. But still, um, in America, the uh, the kind of political divide is much more clear cut. There's no confusing issue like Brexit. Brexit, uh, harnessing the zeitgeist, the political zeitgeist remains much more straightforward and Sanders' strategic path is much clearer than Corbyn's was. So far I've been saying that uh, America is in a crisis, uh, you know, the idea that um, people perceive there to be uh, chaos and uh, there needs to be a return to something before you know um there's a kind of general feeling that stuff isn't going well uh, some people have by some i mean conservatives might say well hang on you know this isn't a time of economic crisis in america or in the uk you know employment and uh gdp growth rates are better than ever right um this idea that uh you know the system is broken and uh, is is kind of false um my answer to that is that this doesn't simply doesn't reflect the experiences of most people um you know first of all because employment is no longer enough alone to sustain a living um with things like the gig economy uh, zero hours contract and the general kind of uh, concept of underemployment um and secondly because of soaring wealth inequality means that gdp or gdp per capita um, doesn't mean more money in the average person's pocket, but rather concentrated in uh, the hands of a, of a rich few. And furthermore, um, these like, trends of employment and GDP growth have been ongoing steadily for years, um, preceding, if talking about America, they preceded Trump, you know, the trends of, uh, of the growth of the economy have been fairly, like, consistent from... Uh, sort of the uh, mid 2010s, uh, sort of early mid 2010s under Obama, up to, up to now, um, and it's a similar story in the UK. So if things are good and have been getting better for some time, um, then why on earth did people vote against the establishment? Uh, you know, a return to the days of old in Brexit and Trump. Um, if you judge the success of an economy purely off uh, statistics pumped out by uh, the Conservative Party in uh, the Trump campaign, uh, namely GDP and employment, um, then that doesn't explain why um, why Brexit and Trump happened in the first place. It's quite clear that something has been wrong for a long time. Um, so unless you're willing to have your cake and eat it, you know, if you're going to argue that uh, the left behind generation were the reason that caused Trump, then you can't be arguing that uh, that everything is fine now because by those same metrics, a left-behind generation still exists, as it were. 
So, you know, this was a bit of a short episode, um, and I also hope it's the last uh, episode I do on elections for a while. Um, this was just kind of to give uh, some of my arguments about uh, polarization a bit of grounding and not have them entirely uh, abstract. Um, and yeah, I think the next episode that will be coming out will be after the AGM, and I encourage anyone who's listening to this, who's thinking about running for uh, the role of being on this podcast with me, then uh, please do come along. Uh, and and even if you aren't interested in uh, in nominating yourself, then please do come along anyway. It should be a bit of fun. Uh, and yeah, I'll see you guys next time. Cheers.